Hey everybody, this is the House of Shade, and today's episode is co-hosted by Red-Eyed Bear and CryptoChem, and we're joined by Carter Wetzel, co-founder of Shade Protocol. And later in the episode, we're joined by Sandy of the Stake or Die team to discuss Shade Protocol's first live product, Staking Derivatives. In today's episode, we discuss what a staking derivative is, talk about the minting process, learn about the pros and cons of derivative assets, introduce a proprietary scoring system for validators, discuss the role of governance, and we get some Shade Alpha from Carter himself regarding an upcoming event. Now let's jump right in and join Red-Eyed Bear and CryptoChem for our discussion on Shade's newest primitive, staking derivatives. All right, and we're live. Super excited to sit down with you today, Carter, and talk to talk to you about the recent developments between Shade Protocol and Secret Network. Um, yeah, super excited. Uh, today's topic is going to be staking derivatives, specifically Shade uh, liquid staking derivatives, um, and got so much good content to cover today. Um, so before we get into the content, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself uh, to anyone who isn't familiar with you or any of the work that Shade Protocol is doing right now. 100%. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, my name is Carter Wetzel. I'm one of the lead researchers and economists for Shade Protocol. For those of you who don't know what Shade Protocol is, it's an array of connected, privacy-preserving DeFi applications. Uh, we feel fundamentally that DeFi is being built totally transparent, and there's some serious problems with having totally transparent DeFi. And so we want to build the full suite of DeFi products all under the umbrella known as Shape Protocol. And the product we're super pumped about is Silk, which is a privacy-preserving stablecoin. But today, we're going to be talking about staking derivatives because it's actually the first product that's launched. It's out there. It's live. You can use it. It's um, one of Secret Network's first uh, privacy-preserving staking derivatives. And today, I just look forward to a great discussion about why staking derivatives matter, why they're important, what are the risks, and how is it relevant to uh, Shape Protocol. Yeah. And uh, before we get started, I just want to congratulate you guys on uh, successfully launching um, your your liquid staking derivatives. I know uh, outside of the actual token launch and the airdrop, this is probably, you know, the next big momentous step towards getting to, to mainnet is actually putting a product out there that people can utilize and interact with. So again, congrats on what you guys are doing. Um, yeah. And just for, uh, for anybody who hasn't uh, heard of what staking derivatives are, or um, or isn't familiar with uh, with the product you guys have put out? Could you maybe give us a little bit of background on what a staking derivative is from like a, a general concept idea? Totally. So when proof of blo uh, proof of stake blockchains, you know, came along, consensus was tied to staking. And what staking is people lock up their collateral with a validator who is processing transactions, processing blocks, and in return for locking up collateral and protecting the overall security and consensus of the blockchain, uh, those people that lock up their collateral are privy to rewards, known as staking rewards. Now, the trade-off here is if you ever want to get access to your underlying principle again, you have to do something called unbonding, which is where essentially you have to wait 21 days to get that initial principle that you locked up. Now, the reason this lockup period exists is for volatility absorption. It helps kind of secure the overall protocol. And it's also a security mechanism. Um, the reason your collateral is getting locked up is because you're protecting against 51% attacks. If over 51% of the collateral is locked up 
and is staking and is contributing to consensus, some ra some random actor can't come in and buy at 50% of the supply, right? That is why proof of stake exists. That's why you get paid um, to, you know, stake. You are securing the system. But as time went on, people looked at all this locked collateral and said, wait a minute, there is like a lot of value just sitting there and it's not really unlocked. Um, what if there was a way to create a liquid market where people can trade tokens that are claims on that underlying collateral? We would suddenly have this whole derivatives market where we can you know, move these tokens around, use them in lending products, trade them, liquidity provide. We're unlocking all this, this value uh, for users. And that's ultimately like what a staking derivative is. Additionally, staking derivatives have been made where you're able to not only have this liquid token, but your token actually appreciates in value because you directly tap into the rewards um, that are accrued by that underlying collateral that's securing the blockchain. So it's the word, you know, derivative, it's kind of scary, but if I had to really turn to one sentence, it's just, we've created a market that represents stuff that's locked up. You can buy, sell, trade it in a way where you're no longer stuck having to wait 21 days to get your original principal back because you can just trade a representation of that locked collateral. Somewhat of a confusing concept, but super, super important for DeFi. One of the problems of derivatives, and we haven't really seen this discussion pop up, and we're starting to see it a little bit actually come out on Ethereum, is what happens when your derivatives market is significantly more liquid and large than the underlying collateral that's locked. So I would love to dive into that discussion at some point and talk about how Shade Protocol is already front-running that problem as it pertains to the Shade staking derivative, which is going to be a staking derivative tied to Shade staking. Um, and the product we launched was a staking derivative for Secret Network. Uh, SCRT is this uh, gas token on Secret Network that you can also stake and earn passive revenue on. We launched a staking derivative for it called Staked Secret, STKD-Secret. You can look it up. It's on CoinGecko. Um, and it was a great first product launch because we soft launched it. We didn't hype it. We learned a lot about what it means to go live with a product other than like an airdrop. And... Um, we've now economically learned some lessons about how we can be even more careful with our staking derivative. So I, I recently saw a phenomenal um, analogy for the way to think about uh, staking derivatives and kind of like what it actually does for DeFi and, and end users. It was basically um, trying to think about stake tokens effectively as the Schrodinger's cat, where you can have this thing that exists in two realms simultaneously. Like you have, um, this locked liquidity in the POS chain's consensus mechanism, but you also have it available as liquid tokens um, available for trading or interacting with other uh, DeFi products, uh, which is, that, that's so cool that it can do both of these really, really important things at the same time. Right. And, and we kind of talked about that, like capital inefficiency you spoke about where when it's locked up, you're really not doing anything with it. I mean, you're, you're getting your yields but you're not really able to put it in liquidity pools and really put your money to work outside of securing that network, which it's incentivizing you for. But I guess my question is, and just to anyone who's kind of new to the staking derivative concept, how does that work where if I were to say, I want to take one secret and turn it into a staked secret, which is now derivative, how do you guys go about you know tracking that and making sure that you don't have multiple different, or, or I guess duplicate versions out there being traded? 
Sure. So the way the way the system works is there's essentially a there's a, con, there's a smart contract out there, right? That's immutable, and people lock up secret, and in return you get stake secret. And what stake secret is is a derivative token. Is it's a claim on the the pool of committed secret to the contract plus rewards, right? So if there's a hundred of the staking derivative in circulation and there was a hundred secret that was committed to the pool and a hundred rewards that was generated there, you, your one stake secret would get redeemed for one secret plus one secret from the rewards pool, right? Like you get a, your stake secret, um, it, you have, it's like a, it's a proportion that you directly are able to claim from. Okay. from this accruing rewards pool as well as the committed secret that's been pushed there. Okay. Um, I'll pause there in case one of you guys want to try to reframe it better than me, but that's like functionally how it works. Um, and that's how the staking derivative slowly accrues in value over time because the only part of the redemption process uh, proportion that's changing is the accrued rewards from, from that pool. So like you have the principal pool, you have the rewards pool. This one is slowly growing over time and your stake secret is a proportional claim on that initially committed secret as well as the yeah. growing rewards. So yeah. no, I think that's a great way to, to describe it. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of caught on this, uh, like before I really started looking into staking derivatives, which was right around the time when you guys hinted about creating your own staking derivatives, I didn't realize how big of a, a need there almost is, uh, within proof of stake, uh, consensus chains. And um, I think, I don't know what made it uh, hit home more for me, but I was reading about um, basically the, the capital efficiency problems that are existing between proof of stake and proof of work um, and why you actually have um, some of the problems there could actually lead to on-chain security. Um, and a lot of that revolves around the assumption that uh, you have your systems users are rational profit seeking agents. Um, you know, if they're earning rewards staking um, and they're making X percentage AP, APY or APR, um, and then you also have these other DeFi products that can promise them greater uh, return, then people are going to unbond and leave the staking to go, uh, you know, chase yield in some other uh, primitive. And then now you have the chain that is less secure. And so when I really started looking into some of these, uh, these scenarios, it became more abundantly clear to me that there actually is a need, not necessarily just a want, but an actual need for uh, staking derivatives. So I'm super excited that you guys are kind of not necessarily the first movers within Secret Network, because I know there are other groups that are working on staking derivatives. Um, but uh, emphasizing that there is a need for this, especially um, within kind of the suite or array of products that um, are underneath Shade Protocol. Yeah, and we fully expect that as Shade normally does, there will be some unique features or some unique aspects to your guys's contracts and, and functionality of your products. There always seems to be something innovative you guys kind of sneak in there. So I'm excited to see what that'll be. Okay. 100 so, 100%, 100%, yeah. So with all that being said, um, like obviously I believe and you guys believe that there is a need for these staking derivative tokens, but um, there's nothing is ever perfect. Uh, you know, there's always going to be some inherent risks with these products. So I was hoping to touch on some of the risks associated with staking derivative uh, products. Um, I think the biggest one is obviously a smart contract risk. 
um, you know, if there's any sort of vulnerability or bug in the smart contract that can be exploited, um, that poses a risk to anyone delegating or, or yeah, collateralizing tokens with the contract. Um, so could you maybe speak on uh, how you guys are able to mitigate that, that smart contract risk and also address some of the other risks that are associated with general uh, staking derivatives? Sure. Excellent question. We'll start with the smart contract risk. So we'll start We'll start off with who built it. Um, Badrick, the individual that helped define the SNP20 token standard that everyone uses on Secret Network, was actually the first in that built the, the smart contracts on this. Um, granted, it was in collaboration with core Shape Protocol devs because after the initial work was done, um, Shape Protocol developers came in, uh, we tested it, we needed the full, you know, checked out on all the single features, unit tests, made sure everything feature-wise was there that was going to be needed for it to be able to be put out there comfortably and accomplish what we needed to accomplish. And then we also had an auditor come in and take a look at all the different code, and we were able to get through and pass uh, all the tests with, with their audit. So from a from a standpoint of incredible builder that built it, um, Shape Protocol devs delved into the code, made sure it needed to do what it needed to do. We had eyes on it there, and then we also had an audit on it. Um, Obviously, like there's still there's still risk there, right? Every single mm -hmm. smart contract has a degree of risk. But personally, as a team, in terms of initial liquidity, I think over approximately a million dollars worth is already is already out there. The core contributors were some of the people that spun up that initial liquidity. So we believe in our own smart contract. We're willing to take the leap of faith on 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 what was what was built. Um, so that's smart contract risk. Now we can talk about risk of staking derivatives in general. Um, the biggest risk of staking derivatives is if there's more staking derivatives out there, um, like it's, it's more of a liquid market than the actual underlying token. You could imagine a world where like some sort of black swan event happened and everyone holding staking derivatives can just dump, right? Because it's a right. super liquid market. Yep. And there's essentially a 21 day unwind period where the original token it's like, it's like a ticking time bomb, right? Because yeah. there's people that are going to be arbing between the derivative and the regular token, that unbonding period. Um, it's, so it's like, it's a bomb that goes off 21 days later, right? But the problem is markets are smart. So at the point that enough, enough staking derivatives exist, the regular token market would start to follow the derivative market. And at the point that has happened, staking is no longer really absorbing volatility anymore right right and that mm -hmm. that okay that is the danger of derivative markets when the derivative market outpace when the derivative for the underlying token becomes a bigger market than the underlying token itself and we've seen this happen in traditional markets when you have very liquid derivative markets tied to very illiquid immovable assets and so i feel like from a from a web3 standpoint i'm seeing a sprint towards Derivative markets without anyone being like, wait up, guys, we've we we can look back on history and traditional markets and see where this can be a very dangerous effect. And so yeah. as shade taking derivatives, um, we're not securing a blockchain, we're securing a peg. So if the derivative market becomes so large and there's some sort of black swan event, that 21 day unbond could break the entire peg. If you if you if you were to not design the derivatives market in a um, quote unquote regulated way. Mm -hmm. And so this is why with shade staking derivatives, the way we're planning it, it works something like this. Um, you you stake a hundred shade and you'll have the right to mint out of, of that hundred shade 
10% of it you can mint like a staking derivative with. And that one, you know, that staking derivative exists is a claim on that underlying 10 shade, not the full 100 shade, just yeah. the 10 shade. And so this means that shade protocol governance has the ability to self-regulate the size of its own derivatives market, right? And so this means if controllably for every one shade staking derivative exists, 90 shade is truly locked up in absorbing volatility. If there was ever a derivative market's blow up, it's only going to be affecting 10% of that shade stake, not the other 90%. Right. And so then we have truly protected ourselves against an unwind event. What's the trade-off of this? Our derivative market isn't quite as liquid as maybe right. it could be. What's the upsize? upside? Safety. We still get to unlock a lot of the value. And even probably the coolest part is the protocol is regu regulating the size of its own derivatives market. How freaking right. cool is that, right? So that that's the innovation we're kind of taking with um, shade staking. Okay. So just to make sure I'm understanding that correctly. So so what you're saying is like basically with shade, you're allowed, you're able to set a cap on what you're able to create derivatives of. So like yep. you're saying, it doesn't get to the point where you have so many derivatives that whenever it goes to cash from in, there's not even enough basically to cover. So I I have never heard that as a solution, but it's another great one by Shade. Well, so yeah, can, well, and it's, yeah. it's about the volatility absorption ultimately, because if we just said, you know, you can have as many Shade staking derivatives as you want, yeah. the question then becomes like, well, why, why wouldn't I create? Like a staking derivative is like conceptually better in almost every way more capital efficient for sure exactly yeah. but there's danger in that capital efficiency to the underlying security of the overall protocol and in this case that's tied to silk's peg and so yeah. we have to defend that first and foremost so once again we're front running this and actually i wish sandy was on this call because he was the one that brought up this derivatives problem of like we were talking about hey like the shade staking derivative we want it to be you know super cool product it's, you know, we have super fluids taking mechanics that we can't fully talk about yet, but like, we're really like multiple iterations. And then we kind of had to stop ourselves and think kind of challenged all of us on like, do we really want the derivatives market to be this liquid? And I was like, that's a great question. And so, and so we started doing research, started doing the economics of it. And it was like, hold up. Like not only was, you know, Sandy challenging us on that question, absolutely valid, no one's challenging the derivatives space right now yeah. in crypto yeah. anywhere. Everyone's just saying, oh, yeah, just like derivatives, derivatives, derivatives. And like some people on Ethereum are kind of like with Lido, they're like, hmm, wait a second. A lot of people are doing this. Is there a trade off? But it's too late for them. Like right. it, it might be it might, some of these things like are almost too late because they there's not a mechanism in place to self regulate. So, right. th so it's just this is like. Um, it's kind of scary to watch unfold. I, I I don't know if this is going to be something five years from now. People are like, remember that Carter podcast yeah. where he called out the derivatives market's just going to blow up on DeFi somewhere and break something? Like, I'm calling it now. Derivatives will blow up a market or a blockchain somewhere. Oh. We don't know yet. It sounds radical because it hasn't happened yet. But if derivatives outpace the underlying asset, bad things happen, period, in the name of capital efficiency. But where have we heard that before? Oh, yeah, this is more a capital efficient market. And then everything mm. crashes. Yeah. Know, I've heard yeah. that before. And on top of that, you have this issue of centralization with, with these protocols like Lido that, that have almost, I can't remember the exact number, but it is a significant portion of the staked Ethereum is on Lido. And once they go full, fully to the to proof of stake, it's, it's going to be even more concentrated. They have tons of different validators. But if you look who's running those validators, it's a very concentrated group. 
And so that's yep. another issue you face in general with these protocols is this, is this centralization, which I guess, have you guys thought about how you're going to combat that aspect of the staking derivatives? Yes. So, oh man, this is, this is too much. This is too much. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll say it. Okay. Okay. So we'll take so, all the offer you can give yeah. and we'll understand if you can't. Yeah. So pretty much with, all right. So the, let's go back to the 90, 10 split. I'll go back to that example. Okay. So like that, that, um, that 90% that's truly staked, like you commit your vote and you're good to go. Right. That's totally traditional voting. Nothing weird. The voting stuff that gets weird is like, how does a staking derivative vote on governance? So right now what we're planning to do is a uh, guy, guy Garcia did some incredible research on governance and he found like a Cosmos SDK module where essentially um, like traditionally the way a lot of the staking derivatives work with the governance is let's say there's a hundred thousand staking derivatives out there, all a hundred thousand people vote on a proposal. And if 51% of that hundred thousand votes a certain way, then everyone's votes get cast for that outcome. Right. Okay. That's not really good though. Right. It's yeah. like, okay, it's, it's like a subset of voters voting and whoever wins here gets to cast everyone's vote on yeah. chain for that specific thing. So Guy Garcia has found a way where when you vote with your staking derivative, the vote that gets committed is purely, it's like a perfect split. So like if 51% um, of people on the staking derivative contract vote for a, for a yes and 49% vote no, the tally just gets pushed into shade voting where it's like, oh yeah, we received X amount of votes for yes, Y amount of votes for no. And that's actually a revolutionary thing with staking derivatives. Most people haven't been able to do it that way. They haven't designed it that way, but now it's a perfect translation. Your vote as a staking derivative is exactly how you wanted it to vote and your, your impact, your impact is still there. So it's, it's a, it's very interesting. How, I guess, how would that work then with the, the actual secret that's staked to the validators? So though, cause the validator vote will count those. So then how, by you using your staked secret, aren't you kind of duplicating your vote? So we are, I was specifically talking about shade staking and shade staking derivative and shade governance. Yeah. So we are still operating under the same unfortunate outdated governance model, most staking derivatives are forced to use on secret network, like with layer ones, yeah, right? We're right. not able to do that like direct translation of translation of vote. So like the current secret staking derivative that Shade Protocol has launched, the governance is module is in there. We just have to build a front end on top of it. But that does follow the same unfortunate outdated model of like, hey, 51% voted yes, 49% voted no. That means the staking derivative contract, all that collateral is gonna vote Got the it. way that wins so that's unfortunate but like i said this is the beauty of like launching a product like this is like it's not a perfect product but we're like we're learning what components of are like hmm like yeah. i wonder if we can do better for that with with shade staking derivative um and it's still it's still a form of governance that's being used it's just we can we can do even more effective governance um than that now i do want to talk about the beauty of the secret staking derivative because we actually put a lot of thought into this so the secret staking derivative is um Right now, it's delegated to 21 different nodes. I want to I want to start with that because most people that launch staking derivatives, they only have it to like three or four nodes because it's actually extremely profitable to have the majority of the staking collateral go to the original the original builders. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. they don't even need to grab the fee stream from the rewards. It's just that the collateral staked with them, so they win. Yeah. So I promise you, go check out staking derivatives on any network, and what you're going to find, it's going to be like three to five validators, right? And they're they're winning big from it. We decided 
And even as like one of the builders and contributors, it was it was like, oh man, like we really have to like let go of like any sort of greed and just be like, we're making this a public good, right? Like we're just we're just gonna we're just gonna make it as public of a good as possible. And so the way it works is we have 21 nodes and there is minimum requirements to get into the set, but we're gonna be for V2, we're taking it to the next level because we are creating a universal validator score that's contingent upon four things: uptime, commission rate governance participation, and decentralization. As in smaller validators will have a higher rank within the system. And there's going to be weights attached to each four of those categories. And it's a mathematical formula that's completely neutral. That's going to be updated every quarter. And that is, that's what's going to determine um, who is in the validator set. And even better is we're going to have power rankings so that you can have, you know, one, two, and three. And based off of where you fall in the power ranking, you'll get a higher amount staked with you. And this actually creates incentive for validators on Seeker Network to be as performant, as active in governance, and as friendly with commission as possible. But we do it in a way that still allows the smallest validators to actually be at an advantage with how the weights tie to decentralization. So if you're 30th largest node and you're like hyperactive in governance, and you got that commission rate at a reasonable price. Um, and you have really good uptime, you might be the best node on the network, technically. Like you might be in that highest power rank and that's gonna allow you to grow quickly. And so this staking derivative has the opportunity to make Seeker Network more secure, more performant, more decentralized and more active in governance if, if we if, if we do it properly, so. Yeah, I love that idea, honestly, because every time I go to delegate to any validator, I head off to the block explorers, kind of look at uptime, try to look at their website and see kind of what they're about and who runs it. And it's kind of tough to find a centralized place where you can get good information. You kind of have to do your own research and then yep. just go with what you know. So to, to have a system that's objective and is going to give at least one basis point for you to, to make a decision is amazing. Especially like you're saying, rewarding the smaller validators to incentivize not only decentralization, but to incentivize these smaller validators to try to get into the set. I know with some of these larger chains like Adam, it's becoming increasingly harder to mm -hmm. even get in the set because you have to have such a substantial amount of Adam to meet that minimum threshold. But if you were getting brought up to the top of the list in front of all the users and saying, okay, like, hey, they're small, but they're doing everything right. They have great uh, hardware and, and are able to stay, keep their uptime at 100%. Maybe you should think about going with this uh, validator instead. And I think that's an excellent uh, innovation you guys are adding to Shade because something that needs to be, I think, brushed up across the cosmos. And, and it could be such a powerful network effect because let's say 10 million secret are committed to the STKD-secret staking derivative that Shape Protocol made. Yeah. Every quarter, you could have someone who was like a rank 60 node that's been, um, oh, Sandy's actually here, that's pretty cool. Um, that's okay. a super small node. They could get leapfrog super far up the set because like, everything gets redelegated around and they're a yeah. power and it's like we're, and then things get more and more competitive and that's good because people are differentiated on the basis of metrics that are neutral and makes the network better. So right. it's a, I think it's a, I think it's going to be a beautiful system and it's ultimately going to be up to the community to decide how much secret do we want to put into SGKD dash secret? Because it's, 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 it's a very, it's very much oriented as a public good. So right. it's an experiment. We'll find out. Yeah. And and that's that is actually an interesting question. How do you or what have you guys even considered? Like how do you come up with a number that you think is sustainable? Also, welcome back, Red Eye. Yeah, welcome back.
I just wanted to highlight that uh, regardless of what what product we're we're talking about, whether it's staking derivatives or we're talking about maintenance of silk peg, or if we're talking about shade staking, like at its core, governance is such an important aspect of all of this stuff working and being flexible and being able to adapt to uh, changing economic conditions, changing user conditions, um, and. It, it means a lot to me as an in investor, someone who really wants the best for this uh, protocol, um, that such an emphasis has been made on making sure that the voices of people are heard and making sure that things aren't necessarily um, kind of stuck the way that they're instantiated or the way that they're initially put out into the world. Um, having that flexibility, the, the transparency that goes on with that flexibility, like it's good to be able to make, uh, change things, but also being transparent about why and what was changed um, is also super important. And I think Shade Protocol has done a really good job um, of this and the talking about the validator sets, you know, the rankings of validators in there. That's a perfect example of ways that not only are you guys trying to emphasize the, the need for uh, security, like property centralization in the security of the underlying network, but also um, helping raise the standards, you know, for the people that are participating in governance, uh, or at least have like a big face in in governance uh, within protocols. Because like, no one really cares what I, as an individual delegator, think about a governance proposal. But people look to validators um, for like, okay, they they think this particular way, or they have a stance on this topic because they have you know these other this knowledge that I don't have. So I can, I should be able to trust them and what their judgment is. And so the way you guys are going about um, prioritizing, uh, you know, governance, participation, uptime, uh, your commission rate, making sure that um, you're, you're focusing on the end user um, it, through governance. That was the main thing I really wanted to highlight um, just because it, it kind of gets Kind of, it's like an afterthought. A lot of times, people are focused about the product and how much money you can make and uh, this and that. But on the on the back end, um, governance is such a crucial portion of, um, of, totally. of all these overall products with the protocol. Sandy, I was telling them how the next quarter we're adding in the iteration. And actually, I don't even think you've heard about this yet, Sandy. But like we're working <laughs> on a we're working on a on a formula. Um, that's going to, it's like a universal score across validators. And then there's going to be like a power ranking system where like the higher you are up in the power rankings, the more you get delegated to from the staking derivative. And the four metrics are where you are in the validator set. So there's a, there's a mathematical curve like system where like the less, the, the more secret you have staked with you, the less points you earn from like this decentralization category. And it's just like a curve that goes down, cool. right? You have like X axis and Y, y axis yeah. is like amount of secret staked. X axis is like your score from that category. So you have like a decentralization okay. score. You have an uptime score. Um, you then have a how active you are in governance score. And there's also a, a commission score. And so there's weights attached to each of those categories. It's biased towards uptime. I believe it's like 60% of your score comes from like your overall uptime score. Cause we do want to be focused on performance above like anything else like because that, right. that's like super important and then there's weights tied to the decentralization da, 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 da. and then if we do this right and more and more people start staking with this staking derivative that we've launched the more influential and competitive it will be for validators to be part of this 19 to 21 person validator set and, and like be as performant as possible to earn as much delegation from the staking yeah. derivative 
people. So sorry, Red Eye. I just want to hop in because yeah. that's a yeah. new thing that Sandy doesn't even like fully know that like we're yeah. working on this the background. This yeah. is mathematically. I, would, I will say that one thing that when we so like to the whole sort of story of this was like building this product, being we had, we ended up doing a lot of work with Carter and uh, and with are all you guys with Shade or what, who am I talking? Maybe you can just tell me who you're talking to. So this is like an internal thing where where are you? You guys aren't outside, right? So I'm talking to Shade right now. So so technically we are just I don't know we're not part of the Shade team. So we basically bootstrapped up this podcast slash marketing arm, I guess, with cool. obviously Shade's blessing. Um, um, but we're not like officially involved with the protocol yeah. so this will be like an interview that we'll put out on our actual youtube page and then we'll tweet it out just to everyone so they can kind of see what's going on with shade and get an idea of kind of how some of these products are going to work awesome yeah well so so the, like if, the, i only asked that because i was going to say like when i gave it to you guys or when when it moved over to so like the original the original thing i started working on um we got really far. We had to do a little bit more work because there was need for things like what Carter's saying. So originally it could only have three validators. Uh, uh, and originally uh, there was no waiting that could go to the, that could be set up for the validators. And originally there was no, this sort of entry and exit uh, fee as well was, was a thing that was added. Um, but we, besides that, right, the thing was working. I had it going in testnet. And going to launch, it was so strange because like I've never had this feeling with a software product that I built before where I started getting really nervous. Like, I'm going to put this out there. It's going to be – people are going to accept it, and then I'm going to lock their money in. It's going to be – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or something like that. But, you know, and, and then beyond that, it was like, can I – structure this in a way where I'm like, do I have the, the ability to, or the, the bandwidth to really manage this and, and think through these things that you guys are saying? So when Carter said, we had a conversation about what staking derivatives, uh, like sh should everything in JB is staking derivative, like, you know, uh, like why have lockups at all if you don't have to? And then we talked about like, the value of that. That's like as far as I can take this, but then what's cool about Carter and you guys is that you have then a team of people in place. You then take it back. You mix that sort of sort of generic sort of like feeling, you know, like qualitative advice or qualitative thoughts that I have and, and quantify it and then come up with like a really good aspect. Those types of things is what makes me feel like it ended up in such good hands because yeah, we just weren't ready to, it's like, it was Bill and I are both developers. And then when it came to sort of, like marshaling a community or any of that kind of stuff. It just got, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a funny product that way. Um, but. I would, I so would really what, like to get your uh, opinion. We were talking about something uh, earlier talking about uh, the risks that, um, that staking derivatives pose to consensus on uh, larger POS chains. Um, you know, as the size of the derivatives market could potentially get bigger than the actual, um, than the, the staked underlying collateral market, you could see some real problems with, um, with the ability for the chain to absorb some of that volatility, um, and could potentially yeah. see some security risks there. So maybe if you could touch on like, what made you realize that there was this problem and how are you guys trying to go about mitigating that? Yeah, so from, from a consensus standpoint, 
the the problem could have been that let's just say that we launched and we only had two validators in the set myself and Baderick, right and honestly we set this up as like how could i get more delegations to my validator that was the idea so if if it was to take off and become super popular for whatever reason then you could run into a problem where we just become too big uh and not only that but um the way voting worked uh this yet yet or or i'm not we're not sure if it's going to be used but the way voting worked was that it was a in, inner inner staking derivative consensus that would then uh, be all of the weight of it would go to one decision, right? Uh, and so you could end up in this position where like 51% of the staking derivatives people wanted one thing, 49 wanted other, and then all the weight of it, and if it was too big, that could get in the way of governance. Uh, and if, if those validators go down, uh, it, it, there could be a consensus problem as well. But I think that the, the more what you are asking about is like the systemic risk, I guess, of mm -hmm. the chain itself. It's like, why does the, I guess the, 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 the question starts from like, why does the lockup exist to begin with? And why 21 days? Like, why did we all these, why were these things all decided, right? Uh, and I guess it, the, my concerns about this and bringing those to, to Carter was, came from a conversation I was having with someone at Confio uh, about a chain that they're launching that's a permission to chain where they said they aren't going to allow staking derivatives. And I was kind of like, why? And then they started just sort of pointing me in directions. And uh, maybe I can take this a even a little bit further back, my my background, but I, out of school, I was like, a, I wasn't even a coder or anything like that. I was more like into writing and stuff. I, I got a job at a hedge fund with no experience whatsoever. And uh, that was in 2006 that I took the job, and in two, by 2006, we were already like the, the fund I was working for was massively invested in subprime real estate, uh, uh, mortgage-backed securities, and uh, the whole thing that we were, it was like, it started out as like, we think this is a good bet, and then it became, we were actually invested in the guy, uh, Michael Burry from from Scion. Uh, I, went, I went out to like a due diligence meeting with them. It was the crazy mm. thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, I met him very briefly, but I talked to like their compliance people, and it was like, you know, you're in 2006. The market has been going up. No one, no one sees any problems. We're sitting in this room in in, in Cupertino or wherever it was, talking about what happens if Bear Stearns and Goldman Sachs and a few other banks all go out of business, like all go under. And it was like, well, how are we protected? And he had come up with this crazy scheme of how to constantly be moving cash back and forth to protect themselves along the way. And I think you saw that in the movie, just sort of in terms of looking like he didn't make out the best of everyone. I mean, he did well, but like he was so scared, I think, of the world falling apart that he kind of tried to, he, he took a lot of money off the table, let's say. Um, but but th that was the sort of environment I came up in and, and thinking about, uh, you know, my boss kept being like, we're either going to do really well or we should all think about what we really want to do be, that has nothing to do with like a functioning society. Like, do you, do you, should we become fishermen or, you know what I mean? Like in the, when, the, when money stops having value type thing. And, um, and I was like, okay, those are our two options, right? Either we crush it or the world falls apart. I was like, I'd rather be in that position than like whatever. But what ended up happening was we crushed it. The world didn't fall apart. And then we, 
got absolutely crushed because everything was systemically tied to the same thing, right? So it was like right. we didn't see that we could make a lot of money over here and lose a ton over here at the same time. And that, uh, so, so everything I'm thinking about when I look at DeFi is informed by this. And everything I think about is like, what does the unwind scenario look like? What happens if USDT decouples? And like, what happens if all the, you know? And so in that context, when someone says to me, I'm not going to allow staking derivatives, I start thinking like, okay, well, what is going to happen, you know? Right. Um, if this goes wrong. And so that's the, just this, this vibe that I'm giving you is the, is the vibe I gave Carter. Like, mm -hmm. we got to be thinking about like, what's the point here and what will happen. Yep. And, and it like it could be the fact that our bots are working really well but if the price just keeps going down because people are pulling out and then someone's going to end up arbing to the point where they end up with a ton of worthless staking derivatives you know what i mean and like that yeah. didn't help because the price was still going down fueled by the fact that these people could get out before they had a chance to take a beat and say you know oh well maybe you know like i i, I suffer from this as well like Sometimes I'm mostly invested in secret, so I'll look at secret and I'll see the price drop and I'll think, what's going wrong with secret, right? Right. And all I have to do to not freak out is say, well, what's going on with Bitcoin or what's going on with, you know? And if Bitcoin, it, most of the time, the, the, the graphs are aligned. Those, so that like really gut level stuff, but then to, like more thought out stuff, 21 days is a really good time for you to be able to have those thoughts, you know what I mean, and, and say like, is it right for me to get out or not kind of thing. So yeah, yeah so um, at the same time, I think staking derivatives provide all this ancillary value though. Uh, and it's because of the lockup that it allows it, right? Because it's the 21 day lockup, you can then leverage that for, for stuff that we've talked about, like lending and other things like that, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right, Carter. I'm. I'm. Yeah. No. I mean, you're, you're right on the money. And like the that exact conversation. I I, I was in the shower that night, a uh, hot shower, just sitting there. I'm like, dang it, Sandy's right. Like we, <laughs> like we we need to we need to change how we're doing staking ribs for shade because like that is a long term risk. And yeah. like here's at a minimum, we need to make it variable enough that like governance at least has the ability to quantify how much risk it wants to take within the size of the derivative market in relation to what is truly locked up. So it's like, mm -hmm. at a minimum, we're introducing a slider. We're not taking the absolutist stance of like no staking derivative. It's like, we're gonna have this very conservative value and technically governance would have the ability to expand it. And like, I've always said at the point you lose faith in governance, it's ability to regulate these things. And it's like, you've essentially lost faith in consensus and, and, and people able to Right. Public work together to have optimal solutions. Now, some would argue that's why other protocols are so good, like Bitcoin, right? The things that are just like mathematically, the rules are set in stone. There's no rules, mm -hmm. rule for them to. So philosophically, Shade Protocol, I think, is taking the leap of faith with saying, all right, like governance could say, yep, we can have this massive derivatives market. Like, but like we have to take that risk. We have to take the risk that we have enough intelligent people in the larger community to participate in sliding this lever in, in a safe way. And maybe that will be our ultimate unwind, but like I, I believe in the great experiment of governance. And I think as as long as we have like we don't assume that the derivative market's gonna be safe out of the gates. So we assume we're suspicious of it and we start it super small and we get to observe other networks and the people that don't play it out conservatively, we let them educate everyone via the flaws of taking that massive risk, then I think I think it's okay to have it have it that way. But Sandy, you absolutely change the course of the protocol potentially 
based off of one conversation of just like challenging us conception, like, do you really want a fully liquid staking derivative market? Is that actually a good idea? And it's like, dang it. Like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Like, that's not a good yeah. idea. That's a terrible yeah. idea. So yeah, and you look at something like C5 that has that, uh, and even in their, their, uh, like infinity pools, like what you, for, if it's like a 10 day thing where you, if you, once you pull out, you don't get rewards or something like that, it's like, yeah. they're working to roll back the idea that it's fully liquid. And when I heard originally that Shade wasn't like that, that you guys had your own staking, but it locked people in, I thought that it was a really good thing. And so then we started talking about like the capability, which your developers actually, it was like they solved the problem in a really interesting way. Uh, but I was like, well, it's like just because you can solve it, it doesn't mean you want to, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I can say. About, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'll just say, I can say from, I come from a traditional finance background. So when I hear derivatives, I immediately go back to 2008, 2009 subprime mortgage crisis with all these, you know, basically bad loans and, and derivatives that were made off of these junk loans and all this. So I immediately, my flags go up when I hear that. So when I hear that you guys have already considered these risks and have like basically taken what you've learned from that experience and now implemented the next iteration of what you think a derivative should be. To me, is that's exactly what we should be doing in these protocols is taking things from the past that we've either seen work or not work and try to improve on them or take advantage of things that we know work. So I think you guys are kind of doing both, right? Like we know derivatives can work. It's more capital efficient. But where's that balance of risk versus efficiency? And that's where the market should decide. And through governance, I think they will. And if yeah. you get too aggressive, people will likely lose money or will lose value and then governance will likely make a change because people don't like losing money. So as long as the incentives align in my eyes, governance should be able to find a, a medium balance where you're using your capital efficiently without getting the derivative market too liquid where you're risking the overall underlying protocol. Yeah. And, and you could you could add in like hard capped friction where it's like on an annual basis, that parameter can only go plus or minus, or well, probably only plus, never minus, but it can only <laughs> increase by a maximum of like 5% per year. So then over the course of five years, it's like, okay, if governance was just hyper bullish, zero risk tolerance, they expanded that to 25%, right? Yeah. So you, you can do stuff like that where it's like, I'm gonna trust governance, but we're gonna hard we're gonna hard cap just how far we can go. And so like, these are all considerations. Yeah. That like, well, also so putting like down, community yeah. we should think about, you know? Yeah, putting downsides on it as well. Like you get liquidity, but you lose what? Right, that yeah. kind of is important, I think, as well. Uh, it's like checks and balances, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you gain liquidity, but you lose. Uh, from a standpoint of secret, you lose uh, the ability to, uh, like, harvest your rewards, like right. take your rewards and invest them elsewhere. Right. There's also an interesting thing about about. I don't think shade will play into this, maybe, but um, from a it's, it's actually a weird thing to think about, but I, I'm like the b most boring person. I'm thinking about the dumbest things. But from a tax perspective, when you sh when you stake, right, you're earning rewards on top of your token, right? Mm -hmm. So you never actually sold that token. But if you buy a staking derivative, I think technically it's a you're selling that. Pro you're you know you're exchanging it for a different asset, mm -hmm. and then going back and forth. So if you were sitting on like a lot of gains and wanted to then stake it. Uh, you know, I mean, with secret, I guess it's a little bit less, uh, well, I guess it's what you want to report or whatever, but I, I just thought about, I've thought about that a lot too, is like, do I want to take a big chunk of money that I'm sitting on, like that has very low cost 
and buy into another token when all I'm really trying to do is earn rewards. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's a bunch of sort of risk tolerance things that I think are interesting. I like. I also really like the. I think that anyone in Cosmos who isn't really deeply, like philosophically embracing governance, uh, is not is is deluding themselves in a way to thinking that they that. that like I thought this Juno thing was actually the, the prop 16 was actually a really interesting event because I think it's basically said, this is a, this is like, whether you like it or not, this is the way we set this whole thing is set up. This is the way these delegated proof of stake voting base chains work. Like this is not Bitcoin. Um, right. and if you want it to be Bitcoin, you should probably, you know what I mean? Or if your chain is advertising itself that way, or your project is advertising itself that way, but still has this governance thing in it, it feels like a little bit either disingenuous or like kind of naive on your part to think that governance is never going to take certain steps. You know what I mean? So right. I think it's important to, to think about that, you know, early well, on. There's um, inherent risk anytime you allow governance because you're giving up your ability as the protocol owner or owners to make decisions for the protocol. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what's feeding this whole decentralized web three attitude is because you get the power back in your hands as a holder of the token rather than giving it to other people to decide what they're going to do with your capital um, yeah. or with the product that your capital is invested in. So 100%, that's a risk you take with governance, but it's, I think, what also brings a lot of people to these proof-of-stake type products because you have an actual say in how it's going to develop and grow. Well, yeah, yeah, and then exactly. And you're also, it's a much, in my opinion, more humble smart approach is to say, I don't know if I'm going to get this right step one, day one. You know what I mean? I think that there's a very, there's a thread that runs through the sort of Bitcoin maximalist way of thinking uh, that, that reminds me a lot of like, I don't know, sort of like not that smart libertarian kind of value people who, you know, like I imagine, you know, I'm probably going to piss people off, but you know, like our, like Anne Ryan fans, uh, right. Who read that in high school and are like, that's the way the world works. It's perfect. I get it. And then, you know, but as you grow, you realize like things are more complicated like that. I think projects need to be more humble in the way that they approach, uh, things like that. So if you can set yourself up for good governance, good systems, good incentives, you know, a lot, uh, that kind of thing, I think you can, I think that's the who's going to win in the long run. Yeah. So I do want to take a minute to to highlight. Like I, I absolutely love this governance talk. I could I could sit here for hours and talk about it and the applications of it. But I do want to take a quick minute quick minute to highlight some of the other aspects of Shade Protocol specific uh, staking derivatives that they offer. And um, you know, there's obviously going to be some slight differences between individual staking derivatives on the same network. So you know. Uh, difference between shade staking derivatives and anyone else that's making them for secret. And then obviously throughout the uh, Cosmos ecosystem, there's going to be some slight differences. But I think uh, it, it, from my standpoint, one of the biggest things that's an advantage for what shade is doing is you have uh, the private staking that's available. And I know uh, based on the roadmap, you guys talked about eventually providing staking derivatives for other L1 tokens or other app chain tokens, um, which if you can still provide that same sort of private staking for those chains that aren't private by default, that's that's a huge win for users and other ecosystems um, who still want to support their, you know, that still want to support 
that project and that network, but also want to maintain that personal private, uh, you know, that privacy preservation. Um, and then personally for me, I'm no, I'm no tax professional. I'm not a, a CPA or anything. So anything that helps simplify my uh, reporting obligations, it gets a big thumbs up in my book. And so thinking about trying to think logically about the way that the value accrual works with staked secret, um, in my head, you're going to have less, less transactions that are going to be, uh, you know, viewed as uh, taxable events. Um, you know, if you, you could, in theory, for a year, only submit one transaction of minting or collateralizing your tokens, get your stake secret and collect all the rewards uh, without ever having to submit another transaction until you want to unbond or sell. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. for me, that gets a huge thumbs up. Yep. Um, and then we also talked about the that minimizing the centralization of validators. Um, and, and how important that is with one promoting sustainable uh, delegation um, standards and, and uh, sustainable validator standards for what the like what people who are kind of leading this community the way they should act the way they should kind of uh, set themselves up. Um, but yeah, I, I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about the private staking because I think uh, with, with later on down the roadmap with adding more tokens, that's uh that's going to become really important to people who probably don't realize it right now right yep i'll i one thing i'll jump in and say i think with, with this formula that we released i think it's going to set a new standard for like i think someone should launch a layer one and when you stake it's just distributing out based on this mathematical equation that's based off of performance governance participation where how small you are a seller like it just seems like the whole so yeah, anyways, it'll be interesting. Like Sandy and I have talked about this. There's so many experiments that are going to happen in the next decade with, you know, Cosmos change with governance. It's like, it's really, yeah. really cool. But on the private staking side, um, we have at least one or two individuals that are hopping on probably in early June. And they'll probably be purely devoted to staking derivatives um, and potentially bringing them cross-chain the cross chain smart contract calls we need we have to have the cross chain smart contract calls with you know cosmos 1.0 to be able to do off to be able to pull off what we're envisioning mm -hmm. um with with staking so it's it there's there'll be interesting architecture challenges it's just like fundamentally we believe you should be able to trigger staking on another chain on secret network ultimately with those native assets and be able to have we're calling oh man alpha man so many we're calling them ports, we're calling them ports and there's got to be a way for it to have treasuries on multiple chains that are all communicating and working with each other to pass um gotcha. assets around and like i don't want to speak to that any further because i've i have a lot of research and stuff i've written that's just it's not the world's not ready for ports yet but like that will be, <laughs> that will be yeah. a discussion at some point in the future i'm i'm also assuming that i i, I feel like i found a little nugget in shape protocols uh medium article about staking derivatives where it talks about uh hinted at there's there's logic in the the governance for stake secret to incorporate shade stakers so that they can impact governance on secret network um, i'm wondering if that's going to be utilizing that same sort of technology you're talking about yeah i mean oh yeah i don't i don't want to fall on the rabbit hole too much but yes that is possible that like technically shade stakers could vote on a, a staking derivative of another l1 that brings up really interesting philosophical questions though because like 
people who mint the staking derivative might not be shade holders. So it's like, that becomes really interesting. Like, do we really, but then like, maybe you could somehow mix the two together where it's, you know, L1 token voters of the staking derivative and shade token holders having a say in some sort of like governance yeah. proposals. So things, things, the lines get really blurry, but the possibilities do become really interesting. And we'll, we'll definitely be exploring yeah. what that looks like. But the dream for staking derivatives is for all the different app tokens coming out on Seeker Network in the next year, all the big ones hoping to have shade protocol launches a staking derivative for them if they're if they're open to it, which is which is important to note. Um, and then besides those SNP token staking derivatives when a launch, then it's figuring out the cross-chain, multi-chain yeah. L1 staking originating on Seeker Network. So big goals. It's it's going to be fun to yeah. knock those off one at a time. So and then. So, and obviously, uh, shade staking derivatives that creates another revenue stream for the protocol. Um, I think last time I uh, talked to Austin or, or whoever had those numbers, it was somewhere maybe around 350 secret or so that's already been uh, of revenue that's gone to or will go to the treasury, um, which is which is awesome to hear. Um, and I guess kind of along along these lines, maybe this is something that Sandy can uh, answer, but. Um, Will will shade staking derivatives in the future be able to handle reward accrual uh, of, of multiple tokens rather than just one? So you imagine something like shade. If the goal is to have all these uncorrelated assets providing revenue streams for shade stakers, how could you weave that into uh, a shade staking derivative token? Obviously, this is probably something that's still in development. We're still in just trying to uh, work through it logically. But I'm just curious if you guys had. Uh, made any progress on that or what you think it would look like? Um, yeah, it's, it's challenging, right? The, the, I, I don't know how much, um, I'm trying to think how much has been released with the, what the Hydro guys are doing, uh, or not, or what is per personal conversations. Maybe I won't say anything because I've had a few personal conversations where they're doing interesting things. And, um, I don't know what's what's what of that is private, so I won't say anything. But okay, um, the idea of trying to have a staking derivative in which you are like, as long as it's the same asset that you're that you buy in, it makes calculation of what the price of that is sort of a, a relatively. Actually, I mean, it's just very simple because your the underlying uh, the rewards you're earning are are one-to-one -one matched with the thing that you staked with, right? So calculating the value of the token is just taking the total number of tokens in circulation, or, or sorry, taking the total number of, of, total amount of, say, shade in this example, uh, and dividing it by the total number of shade staking tokens or amount of people have put in. So if you put in one and there's one and a half in that thing, then the price is one and a half, is, yeah. is 1.5, right? When you start adding rewards in a different token than what you put in, then trying to price that token in the thing that you put in means that you need to be doing some sort of like Oracle work or figuring out what the underlying, what the, what that relates to. Right. So the, divi the division is not, uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's say you like stake shade and you, or you stake Adam and you earn shade. Then how many atom is one staking atom uh, token? Uh, the answer is whatever shade is in that contract plus whatever atom is in that contract divided by the 
the number of tokens outstanding, but what a, those two are different values. So it's a little bit mm -hmm. hard start doing more okay. and more more challenging. So you, then you end up in situations where you're trying to do things like regularly, regularly um, sort of cure rewards, I guess, and then mm -hmm. have them in a, and then convert them or something like that. Like that's one thing we you thought about, like some sort of automated conversion thing. Um, I trust that there are solutions to the problem. Some of the solutions to the problem actually are challenging because they require stuff to happen for like anytime someone switches between accounts that gets really difficult. And so you have to do something every time something switches, which also takes gas and does other things, you know, Yeah. But not to give a sort of not a great answer, but um, I think that this is something that, that's going that's in research. Would you, is that right, Carter? Like currently, yeah, I mean, very much so. The I'll say that like shade staking will be flexible enough where you'd be able to receive multiple types of rewards, but the staking derivative, being able to redeem for multiple types of rewards, I don't think that's been necessarily accounted for, and it's something that we could consider accounting for. Um, I mean, meaning, like you could use your stake derivative to earn the other tokens, but not redeem for other tokens. Well, I mean, ultimately, like. Or like redeeming is realizing the compounded rewards. You either like sell it on the market, right? In, in liquid form, and you've realized your upside and rewards accrued, or you you know redeem and you wait the twenty one days and you get back your initial stake shake collateral plus rewards. And so the problem you guys have pointed out is like, or Sandy pointed out is it's it's definitely like interesting that redemption process can yeah. be can be can be complicated. But for regular traditional shade staking, it's it shouldn't be that difficult to have multiple snip 20s coming yeah. from the treasury contract that you can just go claim 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 like that that conceptually right. isn't difficult but yeah. redemption back to conglomerate yeah. stuff is a little bit more complicated right because you're bouncing one, the one, current one, prices one, yeah sorry one solution to it might be incorporating nfts uh into the process because mm -hmm. the big problem is the staking tokens mm -hmm. you get back when you, so you you put in secret and you get back secret secret or stake d secret right those stake D secret are totally fungible. Uh, and so if 10 stake secret exists within the contract and, and that earns each one of those earns one secret in rewards, let's say like, or, or sorry, there's a hundred. So 10 people each having, each having 10 and they earn one secret and then someone else buys in, right? Uh, like, suddenly the pool gets bit bigger and everyone's rewards that they've earned over that time is now spread over to this new person who just popped in. You know what I mean? If you're just doing like the simple calculation that we use to calculate the price of, of stake D, the way that works with this staking derivative is that you buy in at a higher price. And so you're buying in above the, the, the value and then, you know, so that makes sense. But if you used an NFT, for instance, you could actually be tracking the rewards on each individual staking token uh, over time and saying like, okay, when I sell these tokens, I'm not, I'm not selling stake D shade, I'm selling stake D shade ID 54321 or whatever it is that has its rewards recorded in it in some way. That might be one way to, to approach the problem and maybe fractionalize NFTs, although I'm not I'm not totally sure how that plays into this, might actually be usable in this way as well. Uh, it, pr it provides a lot of really interesting... Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to yeah. say, that would be a really cool way to merge the two different 
like spheres of crypto, DeFi, and NFTs, uh, and be able to leverage uh, leverage the tech stack of one to benefit the other. Uh, I like that. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. really interesting. The beauty, nice, yeah. the beauty of fungibility is simplicity, and so it's like whenever you introduce non fungible markets, it gets things get real, kind of get really trippy. Yeah. Like you kind of have to surrender the fact that you're not going to have a market for like these individual things. Like the reason bond markets work in the traditional world is like, there's just like so much demand for those non-fungible assets that like we can't have liquid non-fungible markets, right? Like in differentiated yeah. products, but like we're existing in such small markets that like that type of NFT product can solve like the user experience and like components of the problem. But then it opens up a new problem of like, like, is there really demand for a market around those types of NFTs? And yeah. so it's, it's like, it's so interesting. The NFT stuff, I've still wrapping my head around how it can cross over into the financial markets of DeFi. And my answer is we're just not big enough yet for a lot of them. It doesn't mean it can't work though. It's just like, that's that's always my gut instinct to NFT yeah. solutions, DeFi stuff. So yeah. one, one last quick thing I want to touch on um, just to help end users, especially I, I think uh, providing some clarity around this for normal users, maybe not power users, um, or, or maybe I'm getting it totally backwards. It, this is more important for power users, but could you guys maybe explain the difference in the pathways that people can uh, take to acquire stake secret? So obviously you can collateralize your tokens with this contract, mint out stake secret, or you can swap for it on the decks. What is the, what is the pathway and the cost associated with each of these different uh, ways of acquiring the token look like? That's a great question. So your first option is to go to app.shapeprotocol.io slash staking derivatives, or you can go to shapeprotocol.io and click on the staking derivatives button. Um, in there, you're able to deposit secret. There is a small 0.2% minting fee that's taken. That's what goes back to the DAO that creates the sustainability for the product. Um, and then in return, you'll mint out um, staked secret, the derivative. And from there, you can just hold up. You can just hold it. You can just sit on it and your token will slowly appreciate in value over time. And you have two options once you have the staking derivative. You can sell it on the decks and realize that slow appreciation value, or you can withdraw it, and that's where you wait 21 days and you'll get the original secret collateral plus the rewards you've accrued over time. So method one to get stake secret, go to the shade derivative site, mint it directly, pay a small 0.2% fee. Option number two is to go on Sienna and to just straight up buy it directly off the market um the market it's over a million dollars of the liquidity over there so pretty nice it's continuing to grow we're working on trying to potentially have shade lp rewards available for the s secret slash stake secret pair i don't have any official alpha on that but like we're in progress on hopefully getting that set up that would obviously drive a lot of demand for holding the staking derivative which is which is pretty cool yeah um so yeah those are those really are the two the two the two options and there's people already that are like arbing like if someone buys too much stake secret from the decks or sells too much. We're already seeing people doing like time value of money ARB. Okay. In, in both how, directions. how is that working Carter? Are people like, what is, what are the ARBs using as the, as the baseline price of which to value it against? Yeah. So there's the, apparently one of our, okay. So the person that's building sky is one of the core developers. Here's some other potential alpha. There's an art bot that's being designed that would potentially bring revenue to shade stakers because there's essentially like a time value of money arb where like there's an intrinsic value of secret. I don't entirely know the calculation. We should have a whole episode for Gajaxis not here about it. Guy's brilliant. He's he's super smart. But 
there's some way to calculate intrinsic value of secret. And so when market goes below that, you can figure out right. the 21 day unwind and you're like earning more nominal amounts of secret, but you're giving up the fact that there's that 21 day unwind. So that ARB does exist, but most ARBers won't take it because 21 days is way too expensive for them. Like right. that cost yeah. for a normal arbitrage player, their money is more valuable than having collateral go away for 21 days. But for something like Shade Protocol and integrating that into like a super long stance where you're like, yeah, of course we want to earn three secret because we believe in the underlying protocol. Like even though our time value of money, like, yeah, it right. has to do with people's different risk profiles and how much they value money in a given moment. And so the that's where like, that arbitrage is when the shade staking token or the secret staking token is being undervalued because then you buy it at a discount gotcha. and then you unwind it. The other one is the immediate ARB, which is everyone's doing, is that like if it's ever overpriced, you literally mint and immediately sell yeah. and realize your upside. So that's the one that's automatic, that's super lucrative mm -hmm. that everyone's doing. The other one is the time value of money equation. So, so yeah, they have the unbalanced pools and then they also have the, like the time value ARB that you're speaking of which is probably a little more difficult to, to calculate for most people. So I imagine most are just doing this simple, un, or, you know, going to a liquidity pool, seeing it's weighted one side too heavy and basically taking the office out. And you yeah. could potentially have Sky, the arbitrage bot, be able to sidestep, let's just say, sidestep a minting fee, sidestep a withdraw fee, maybe sidestep a dex fee, and, and, and be able to ultimately bring revenue back to shade stakers in a unique way that only shade stakers have access yep. to. That whole concept of creating that that little gap that allows uh, the the bot to participate. I love it. Love the idea. Decentralized monopolies. You're, Those are the rumors <laughs> I like to hear. Right. Uh, yeah, this is this has been such a phenomenal conversation. Um I think we've provided some really good insight into the need to demand for staking derivatives, not only Obviously, Shade is this first one that they put out is stake secret, um, but there's a demand for staking derivatives in, you know, all types of different crypto networks. Um, and I'm really excited to see that the role that they play in DeFi. Um, I'm incredibly excited to see what other uh, staking derivatives products that you guys put out in the future. Um, I think Staked Shade is the next one on your roadmap that's going to be coming out. So definitely be uh looking for that especially with considering how excited i was for stake secret um but i want to i want to give you carter a chance to talk about any things that are coming up on uh, shade protocols roadmap um big events that you guys are looking forward to um yeah go ahead yeah so we have something called the convergence that's coming uh june 7th to 8th austin texas be there if you can. There's going to be some very, very good alpha drops that happen. There's going to be some Shape Protocol events where the community is meeting up in per person specifically for Shape Protocol. Um, and the way we're reviewing the convergence is we've been having so many different ideas and products, and they're all converging on, on this date and this moment in time. Could be some product demos, could be the announcement of Silk being launched. Who knows what's in store? So be sure to converge at Texas with us. Um, and in the interim, there's another primitive that we're hoping to be launched before the convergence, but I can't reveal that yet. So, oh. so between now and June 7th and 8th, we got something something special in store. It should be fun if all, if all goes well. It's a perfect cliffhanger to end this really one. Is. <laughs>
clip that at the start, right? Yeah. Where, was that? where was that in the episode? <laughs> Muhammad be there? Say what? Will Muhammad be there? That's Muhammad might be the only person that can't make it, but we have from like everyone else should be there. We're we're sad, yeah. just like travel travel yeah. related restrictions stuff. So yeah, excited yeah. to see the team for sure. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, House of Shade team is definitely going to be at, in Austin, so we'll be there uh, repping with Shade Protocol. Super excited uh, as soon as I heard about this and and the opportunity to go there and just be completely immersed in everything Shade and DeFi. Uh, that literally sounds like. Uh, the perfect place I'd want to be right now. <laughs> Sandy, are you going to be able to make Austin, Texas? Are you going to swing down there? I mean, it sounds like I have to. Um, <laughs> what is it? What's the date? June 7th to the 8th. It's at Decentral, Austin, Texas. And the Secret Network is sponsoring the event. I think they are the primary sponsor. So oh, nice. Shade will also be, be there. We will have a sponsored booth. And um, highly recommend going. I know a lot of Secret Network folks are going to be headed down there. We have an Airbnb for 14 people. I think we're filling it up to the brim for the most part. So it's going to nice. be, we'll have some good, some, uh, some good times. We'll say nice. it's going to be fun. Some celebration. Okay. I'll make it. I'll, yeah, yeah, I was my, about to say, uh, he's about to force your arm, Sandy. No, no, it's great. Uh, uh, Texas is closer to Mexico too. So my crew can hopefully meet up. Too. Very nice. But yeah, oh, yeah, thank you, Carter, and thank you for Sandy uh, for making time this weekend to sit down and talk with us about staking derivatives. I know I've been super excited about this product coming out, and I know other people are. Um, you know, the opportunities that it's giving us within DeFi and the the extra liquidity and security that it can help provide is going to be really important over the coming months and coming years. So I'm glad we got to sit down and talk about this. Um, there were so many topics that we could just expand upon and talk about for hours and themselves. But I think yeah. this is a good background to give people um, specifically around shade staking derivatives. So um, we will make sure to include links to uh, shade protocols, staking derivatives, medium article, as well as some of the other uh, interesting articles and papers that we use to kind of come up with some of the, uh, our thoughts surrounding this um, surrounding this episode. So make sure to check out the description below to find those. Um, and yeah, uh, as always, thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, listening to what we've got developing at Shade Protocol and we'll see you next time. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. And thank you to Carter Wetzel of Shade Protocol and Sandy of the Stake or Die team for joining us on the House of Shade podcast. Make sure to check out the links in the description below to learn more about Shade Protocol and the staking derivative product. And please help support the House of Shade in our mission by liking the video and hitting that subscribe button. Thanks and see you all next time.